welcome to the Diversity Gap Academy, where good intentions meet true cultural change. My name is Bethany Wilkinson, and I am your host. Hello, happy Tuesday. I hope you are staying safe and well wherever you are. I also hope you've had a chance to check out the first lesson in our culture series that posted last week, because today we are diving into lesson two, what is culture? Now, in last week's episode, by way of reminder, I shared two ideas to ground the entirety of this series. The first idea was do not underestimate the power of the right conditions. I shared a story about gardening and about the importance of having the right conditions present in your organization prior to pursuing diversity. Do not underestimate the power of the right conditions. The second point from lesson one was a framework called the culture cycle. Now, last week when I shared, I said that the cycle had three parts, but it actually has four. Individuals, ideas, interactions, and institutions. The culture cycle demonstrates how individuals, ideas, interactions, and institutions work together to perpetuate a culture. So as people change, as new ideas are shared, as interactions between people adapt, and as institutions shift, new cultures are created. I would highly recommend you go back and check out that lesson for more information, more examples, and more context. For today's lesson, we are answering the question, what is organizational culture? And I thought it would be helpful to share that the word culture comes from the Latin colere. Now, I don't speak Latin. I don't know a lot about Latin, but it is spelled C-O-L-E-R-E. And in Latin, um, etymologically, Culture comes from a word that means to tend and to cultivate. So when I think of culture, I of course think of the work of a garden. Much like a healthy garden, a good culture doesn't just happen. A good culture is nurtured through a series of inputs and intentional decisions. It also requires almost constant maintenance, especially at first. Not only do you need to get the soil right, but you have to keep an eye out for weeds and pests, and you have to always be providing extra support for the good things you want to grow. And organizational life is no different. Now for you and the organization you lead or where you work or have some degree of influence, what are the inputs that go into a culture? I have five I want to share with you, and we're going to walk through each. The five inputs are number one, values, number two, beliefs and assumptions. I grouped those two together. Number three, priorities, number four, stories, and number five, symbols. Let's unpack each one of these starting with values. If you've been leading or participating in an organization for any length of time, you've likely heard every spiel imaginable about values. A famous book on values that I'd highly recommend is called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. And Mr. Lencioni would say that values are how you behave. Values are closely linked to your behaviors. And we arrive at values in two ways. 
There are the values you've inherited from your family of origin and from the larger society you were born into. And then as a leader of an organization, there are the values you choose to embody intentionally. So what do I mean by the values that you inherit from your family of origin and from larger society? For me, I was born into a black family in the southern United States in the early 90s. My dad remembers when his elementary school was first integrated racially and how that formed him as a person. My aunts and uncles tell me stories of life in the Jim Crow South. I'm told stories from my grandparents and great-grandparents to the same effect. My home environment was filled with stories and values related to family, to protecting one another, to advocating for justice, to speaking up about racism, and a, a commitment to making a way out of no way. And so that's um, the culture that I was raised in as a just a person and some of the values that we have as a family. As a U.S. citizen, however, I also grew up in a society with its own set of values, one that values freedom and one that values individual accomplishment. I was reared in an academic setting that taught me the value of working hard to achieve excellence. And so these are a few of the values and behaviors I bring to any and every organization I work with. It's not only about the culture you choose to create in the room. It's about the culture that you bring into the room by the virtue of you just being yourself. But there are, of course, the values that I choose as part of my organizational life. For example, two of the values I've chosen for the Diversity Gap Academy are authenticity and practice over perfection. So valuing authenticity means that when it comes to this company, what you see is what you get. My goal is to be fully myself as an entrepreneur, knowing that it will draw some people to my work and repel others. That's okay. Valuing practice over perfection means I will create new content as often as I can, and I will share it even if it's not perfect. So for my podcast, for example, I edit these. And so if I can't get the audio levels just spot on, so be it. My commitment is to get the ideas out there and to create as much value as I can before I'm able to afford an audio engineer to perfect my audio levels because the practice is more important than perfection. So how can you start to pin down what your values are, both inherited and explicit? Well, the explicit ones are obvious. You or your organization's leadership probably already chose the values. You may work at the company you work at because of the values that they've selected for you. And so find that list and unpack the behaviors that accompany those values and so on. That one's pretty simple. But if you want to know your inherited values, the ones that you've gathered from your family of origin, from society at large, or just from your lived experience, it's fun to consider it this way. If an alien from another planet came into your life and observed you and your family or your community for a day, what would they observe and say you value? Now, I didn't make up this question. I got this question from a podcast interview between Brene Brown and Jim Collins, two incredible thought leaders and entrepreneurs in their own right. Um, And this was on the Dare to Lead podcast. Highly recommend it. But I thought the question was remarkable. If someone observed you for a day, what behaviors would they see? And what do those behaviors indicate about your values? Food for thought. 
Okay, number two, beliefs and assumptions. If values are how you behave, then beliefs and assumptions answer this question. What is true? What is true? If there's anything I have learned observing our political landscape over the past few years, it's that we as U.S. citizens do not have a basic consensus on what truth is or on what the facts are. And yet, each of us carries a set of basic beliefs and assumptions about pretty much everything, about people, about who's trustworthy, who's not trustworthy, who's good, who's evil, who's lovable, who's not lovable. We carry these basic beliefs and assumptions about processes, about the right way to do things, the worst way to do things. We have assumptions and beliefs about justice, about equality, what meet, what's, what's the standard for equality, how do we get there, is it achievable, um, what is justice, is it through a justice system, is it about retribution, is it about punishment, is it about flourishing for all people, what's justice, what does it mean to serve and love others, how do we get there. So each of us is carrying these beliefs and these assumptions every single day everywhere we go, and it impacts how we lead and how we interact, especially cross-culturally. When I was a senior in college, one of my best friends and roommates, let's call her Tina, um, we were making decisions about postgraduate life. One of my assumptions upon leaving college was that the most responsible thing I could do as a postgrad was to find a job working for a nonprofit that would pay me enough to support myself financially. That was my end goal, find a service-oriented job that would pay Bethany's bills. And I assumed that would be the post-grad objective of anyone in our shoes. However, for Tina, her basic assumption was that she needed to not only find a job that paid her well, but she needed to be prepared to financially care for her entire family. Now, Tina came from a different cultural background than me. She is Korean-American, and we eventually got to the place where we could talk about this in terms of our cultural identities. But my basic assumption was, how do I make sure that I'm set? And that was all I was worried about. Tina's basic assumption was, how do I make sure my entire family is set? These different assumptions and beliefs about duty and responsibility did lead to some conflict at the time because I couldn't understand why she wouldn't just do what she wanted, but she didn't understand how I could be so selfish and individualistic. Fascinating, right? It's easy to assume that because a group of people choose to work for the same organization and towards the same mission, that they believe the same things and carry the same assumptions about how the world works. But that's rarely the case. Learning how to articulate our beliefs about people, priorities, and processes goes a long way in creating a good culture and creating a culture where people from different backgrounds with different priorities and different processes can bring those things to the table. All right, input number three, priorities. This one's pretty short and sweet. A priority is the one thing you will sacrifice everything else for. By definition, you can technically only have one priority. So when you step back and look at your organizational calendar for the year, or even your calendar within your role in your organization, what is the priority? If diversity is A or the priority, how is it reflected in your calendar? The priority you establish as a person and organization has a profound impact on what the future of your culture will be. Now this is an 
um, an interesting point as well related to our diversity work specifically. And if you're available on March 9th at 11 a.m., we're going to dive into this at the first um, Diversity Gap Academy workshop of the year. But for some people, the priority is representational diversity. It is getting all of the right people in the room or a diverse representation of people in the room. For others, the priority is reconciliation. It is about relationships. It's about understanding one another. It's about cross-cultural communication. For other people, liberation from oppressive systems is the priority. How do we dismantle the things that keep creating a society where there is marginalization? Those are three incredibly different priorities. And yet, organizationally, we often lump them all together as if we're all talking about pursuing the same thing. If this is a tension you are navigating, either you haven't gotten clarity on which of these three buckets you're pursuing or why or how, then you should definitely check out the workshop. I'd love to have you be a part of the conversation. Okay, moving on to input number four. Input number four is stories. I'm going to dedicate an entire episode or two to stories in the coming weeks. But my favorite question to ask related to organizational stories are, or my favorite questions to ask are, who is the hero and who is the villain? In many founder-led organizations and brands, the hero is the founder. They may not tell the story in a directly self-aggrandizing way, But the general story arc is the founder saw this problem or stumbled upon this idea, raised some money, invited in some friends, and boom, success. The rest was history. These stories then get told over and over again in an organization to reinforce the other inputs we've discussed. Now, I think storytelling is incredibly important. It's actually one of the first pieces of advice I give to some of my clients. What's the story of how you've even arrived at doing this work? Know that story and be prepared to tell that story over and over again for years to come so that if someone walks through your doors in three years and they see that you have a diversity statement, an inclusion statement, or or whatever it might be, a program, an initiative, you should be able to tell them, hey, here's how we got to this point. So stories are really powerful and it's important that you're able to tell the story over and over again. But in addition to the hero stories, I include the question, who is the villain, because most organizations are seeking to address some sort of problem, and that problem has texture. It has its own story. If you're an organization, for example, serving people experiencing homelessness, then your villain, homelessness, has its own makeup, its own history, its own patterns. You have to understand your villain to win. Another example is um, for organizations that support um, startups or new companies and new businesses. One of the challenges that many founders of color face is a lack of access to capital. And so you have to ask yourself if lack of access to capital for black founders, for brown founders, for founders of color, if lack of access is the problem, if that's the villain, how did we arrive here? What is the texture of that story? How is oppression and systems of oppression at work in creating that particular barrier? And so asking the question of who is the villain is really interesting to me because I think that there is a lot of opportunity to understand how systems of oppression are at work within the many problems we're trying to solve as organizational leaders. 
There's going to be more on stories in the weeks to come. And so finally, last but not least, is symbols. The fifth input is symbols. Symbols are powerful because they represent who you are to the world. They also quickly relay the other four inputs, values, beliefs, priorities, and stories to outsiders. Flags are powerful symbols. Logos are powerful symbols. And so what are the symbols your organization holds dear? The logo for the Diversity Gap Academy. It's a series of books. Why? Because I hope to create educational resources for leaders like you. And so what are the symbols your organization holds dear? What do those symbols communicate about your values, your beliefs, your assumptions, your priorities, and your stories? This is just food for thought. Now, you may be wondering, great, Bethany, what do I do with these five cultural inputs? How do I make the most of these buckets? Give me homework. Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Your homework is this. Look at your calendar and find two 30-minute blocks of time. In the first 30 minutes, sit down and write out how these five cultural inputs present themselves in your work and organization. This is super simple. You can literally just create five columns on a piece of paper, or you can do it um, in Google Sheets or Excel or something like that. Just write it all out. What are the values? And if you're really feeling bold, what are the behaviors that accompany those values? What are some of the assumptions that you're bringing to your organizational work, your organizational life, and specifically your diversity work? Do you assume that everyone's on board? Do you assume that everyone should be on board? Maybe you assume that this shouldn't be an organizational priority at all. Be honest about the assumptions and beliefs you're bringing to the table. Sit down and write out your priorities, stories, um, and the symbols of your organization. In the second 30 minutes, um, sit down with a friend or coworker and share what you wrote down along with any additional observations you have. If you want to take this assignment one step deeper, And if you are a patron of the Diversity Gap Academy, I've created a worksheet along with a series of diversity and racial justice related reflection questions to help you begin aligning your current cultural reality with your hopes for a more diverse and liberating cultural reality. And so this worksheet and accompanying reflection questions can be accessed over on Patreon. I've also included a link to becoming a member in the show notes. Okay, friends, that is all I've got for today's lesson, lesson two in our culture series, What is Culture? Join us on Friday for lesson three, where we are diving into heroes, villains, narrative keepers, counter narrative bringers, and what all of this means for organizational change. Be safe and be well. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. To support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review. To learn more about the Academy, visit www.thediversitygapacademy.com. And until next time, may your good intentions for diversity lead to true cultural change.